We start this morning the second chapter of the second letter of Paul to Timothy. And I'll read you the first verse, but we'll deal with the first seven verses of this chapter. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Second Timothy chapter 2. Now, very often the Christian sons alone, um, Abram in Ur, Lot in Sodom, Daniel in Babylon, Peter warming his hands by a fire in a courtyard one night by himself, Timothy in Asia, Luther at Worms, Lloyd-Jones, so much of his ministry, and at such times then, Strength of personality is needed. Strength of faith is essential. You can no longer get by with the protection that there's a group of you, uh, your supporters, and, and they're there for you and speak for you, more mature people. There's no other leader in the whole province of Asia for Timothy to look to. No one he could get into contact with instantly. I can email three times in a day, Grand Rapids or or Columbia. Um, Timothy got two letters from Paul for his entire ministry because his mentor was a thousand miles away. He was in prison. He was soon to die. And there had been widespread defection in the surrounding congregations. Timothy was standing alone and so he had to Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's essential for our survival. It's essential for our usefulness. It's essential for our sanity to be strong in grace. And so this is a splendid uh, exhortation. And we all need to hear it and understand it then today. I'm really testing you. Are you strong In the grace of Christ. So here are two very different entities. There's you and I, specks, atoms, the littlest of people. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ to whom all authority in heaven and earth is given. He's with God and he is God. What does it mean for any one of us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, We have our image of Timothy, don't we, that uh, he was a beginner and he was timid by nature and yet God had put him in this place of exemplary leadership in the very area where Paul's apostleship was being disdained and denied. It's as if the apostle was speaking to him here and he's saying, now listen, Timothy, Never mind what other people think. Never mind what other people say. Never mind what other people do. Never mind how many of them there might be. And never mind how weak or inadequate you may feel. Timothy, be strong. Your strength is the paramount need of the hour. But you notice what he says. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If he'd simply said, 
Now be strong, Timothy. That would have been absurd indeed. I've been reading the um, biography, the new biography of, of J.I. Packer, and he relates how his uh, mother had some little qualms about uh, his needing when he was 13 to be uh, confirmed. And so he went along to a, a nearby church and went through confirmation. But uh, the vicar who explained to him what confirmation was all about simply talked to him about the morality of Christianity, about good living and good conduct. And there was little or no explanation of why we should live in that way. No motivational power from the sacrificing love of Jesus Christ for us. No motivational power for the fact that there's a living high priest at the right hand of God who is praying for us. A good shepherd that leads us day by day. No stress on the mercy of God that we've received. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. John Stott speaks about the futility of saying to an unregenerate man, be strong. He says, you might as well tell a snail, be quick, or a horse, to fly. As tell a weakling to be strong, or a shy man, be brave. So Paul's summons to Timothy, to fortitude, is a Christian summons. That's the context in which this, these two words, be strong, are found. It's not a, a call to Timothy to be strong in himself, to seek for the hero and hide himself, to grit his teeth and clench his fist and set his jaw. But the words literally in Greek are be strengthened, but be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus to find your resources and your motivation for living a, a, a holy life, a sinless and elevated life to be in the grace, by the grace of Jesus Christ alone, in the divine omnipotence, making a, a real man out of a callow youth, uh, an experienced, mature man out of a beginner. Well, how are we to be strengthened by the grace that is in... What does it mean to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Let me uh, clear up some confusion, first of all, and get rid of some misunderstandings. Firstly, there's no master key to growing in grace. No master key. You might have had the misfortune to be going nowhere in your Christian life for a long time. And there is a growing dissatisfaction with that. So you, you one day come across a book that you picked up in the Christian bookshop. Or you've you heard a message that says there's a sure way you can get out of your doldrums. There's a master key. 
to the Christian life. And maybe you were told it was John 15 about the branch that abides in Christ and it produces much fruit. Just abide, you were told. And the point was emphasized and driven home by a preacher in such a way that it really impacted you. That you'd never understood union with Christ and the implications of of being joined to him and his life coming to us and giving us love and joy and peace and strength of faith, keeping us and watching over us. And so, after that message, you made more progress in the next six months than all the six years before you heard that message. And from then on, that was the one string you had on your banjo. When you spoke to other Christians, you said, abiding in Christ, that's the great thing. Do do you, are you abiding in Christ, and so on. Or it may have been a sermon on Romans 6. And uh, what we call definitive sanctification there, the exposition by Paul of our new status as Christians, that are old man. Well, he doesn't exist anymore. He has died. What we were in our unbelief doesn't exist. And a new man, uh, a new man in Christ lives. And this truth was mind-blowing. You read Lloyd-Jones' book on Romans 6. Those wonderful sermons. They're one of the best in that series. And you think, ah, that's the way. That is the only way a Christian can be strong in grace. That's what you talked about, and you told other people about it, and you recommended it to others as though they'd never heard of it before. I'm saying that there are all sorts of themes like that, and books like that, and conferences that you can go to where that's the emphasis and theologies of the Christian life, and testimonies built on the mistaken notion that there is somewhere in the Bible a master key. And once you've got it, Christian living is a cinch. You can turn it and the door opens and then you are walking through life then in the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm insisting that there is no master key to the Christian life in the Bible. What it offers us is a series of keys on the key ring. That's the Bible. When Jesus Christ was being strong in the grace of God and resisting the devil, he quoted to the devil words of Moses, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, whole, all-round Christians need a whole, all-round scripture. All Christians need all the means of grace in their totality. The inspired word preached and read, uh, uh, prayer, the influence that we have when we listen to other people and talk to them, and a part of godly conversation, so on. All that makes us strong men and women. The blessed man of Psalm 1, he uh, He meditates in the word of God. It's his delight. And night and day he thinks about, ah, this truth, that truth, that truth. Gospels, letters, revelation, acts, psalms, 
prophecies, history books. There is no master key that only an elite group of Christians, then the in crowd, the Illuminati, have got it. And they live like that. There is not a single gate into the city of God. On the north side there's a gate. And on the south side there's a gate. And on the east and on the west there are gates. That is, in front of you today, there's a gate for you to enter. Enter into the strength of the grace of Christ. This moment, enter it. So, um, no master key for being strong in the grace of Christ. Secondly, there's no desert island paradise you can escape to where you can be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. We don't become strong because we happen to find ourselves in a place where our enemies are weak. In the city of the blind, the one-eyed man is the king. You know uh, pathetic places where one man rules and the little group who are there are feeble. Yes, men. He's not a strong man. He's simply a weak man living with weaker men. He's simply in a place where the inhabitants are all yes men. They've laid down their arms. They've left the battlefield. They've surrendered the whole place. And so... One man of the slightest convictions is stronger than all the rest because they have no convictions at all. Every Christian is to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He's to be on the front line. He's to be ready for a fight. He's a watchman on duty. He's a soldier who's put on all the armor of God and he's ready to meet the enemy. The enemy is relentless. It's continually uh, regrouping and reforming. It's like a chameleon. It can change its color. The, the devil can become an angel of light. Um, you know we're going to be fighting with principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. That is the reality of the future for us all. The devil, like a roaring lion, will go about seeking whom he may devour. Nobody is sacred. There are other enemies. There's indwelling sin. The flesh within us is fighting against the spirit and warring. There's no release from the moral tensions and conflicts internally that we have. And then, of course, there's the world in all its voluptuous charms and enticements and how it makes itself uh, so beautiful. Um, the devil takes Jesus and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and all the might and riches of this world and the rewards and the glittering prizes that this world has to offer. And he's offering like he offers them to us the world will hate us if our discipleship of Jesus Christ is real and serious and consecrated. You will be a constant irritation to the world if you listen to what the world says. The world says, all right, religion. Just enough religion then. Uh, be polite, surely, and kind, and, and moral, and go to church and meet with your friends. No extremes. No fanaticism. Battles 
with the world and the flesh and the devil, they get no easier. I am fighting the same battles at 77 that I fought at 17. Same battles. The same resistance is needed. There's no place. If I went to live in Bardsey Island, I would be fighting those battles in Bardsey Island. There's no magical, sin-free, devil-free zone where we won't have to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ any longer. Thirdly, there's no automatic pilot who will guarantee our journey to growing in Graceland. When we're born again, immediately the Holy Spirit is, is there, isn't he? The instrument of the new birth. And he influences every part of us. He influences our bodies, um, our hands and our eyes and our, our loins and our, our intellect and our thinking and our judgments and our emotions and our affections and our, our wills and our decision-making faculties. Uh, the Holy Spirit is there. And he's touching and he's influencing all of those things. He affects a lot. There is no no-go area in you that the Holy Spirit doesn't seek to influence in a God-honoring way. He's at work in all our faculties without exception. God creates no new faculties when he regenerates us. He destroys no old faculties when he regenerates us. The grace of God gets to work uh, strengthening our body and our mind and our intellect and our thinking and our creativity and our judgment and our will and our affections and our personality. He doesn't cancel or annihilate what we are. And so I, I'm to use my mind fully and my feelings and my inclinations and my members, my hands and my feet and my eyes and my tongue. And I ask God to strengthen every part of me. That is the nature of the Christian life. That is being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died instead of me. But the Holy Spirit doesn't live instead of me. He works in me. Relentlessly. Effectually. To move. And elevate. And enrich. And strengthen me to will to do. His good pleasure. He is responsible for any growing Christ-likeness in us. All the time he's doing that. He's anticipating the future. and He's warning me and he's encouraging me every day. Uh, you see, what I'm getting at is this. There's a kind of religious teaching that you're going to come across, not in this church, but it's... It's there in the Christian world that says, oh, the problem with many Christians is that they are trying to strengthen themselves. They've forgotten the wonderful word substitute. 
God never intended you to save yourself by going to the cross for your sins. Jesus did that. So God, this teaching says, never intended you to be strong by yourself in the Christian life, but the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, will be your strength. He just expects Jesus Christ to pour his life into you. And you must, that's what you must do. You simply open your life for Jesus Christ to come in. That's what this false teaching says. It says the problem with you is that you're using your mind. Now don't use your mind. Let your mind go into neutral and let Christ's mind be your mind. Or they say uh, the problem is that you're using your will. And that's what is getting in the way of the will of Christ being done for you, guiding you and leading you. You have to negate your will and let Christ will his will through you. Now, I don't understand that. I simply think that's nonsense. I don't know what they're saying. And it's a a common error. It's called the secret of the Christian life. And we all know that what goes around then goes around. It, uh, it's been flaunted and there'll be some uh, dynamic personality who will promote it again. And there'll be books written and conferences arranged. And it will be announced as a new discovery, the new secret of the Christian life. We call it quietism. It tells us to stop trying to put to death remaining sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, hand everything over to Jesus. He's the automatic pilot and he will safely take you home. And so they have vivid pictures. For example, they say, have you ever seen your apple tree struggling and fighting to produce apples? Have you ever seen an agitated apple tree? And the tree is saying to itself, I must produce apples. I've got to produce a crop. No, they just hang there and they grow. Well, that is how we grow in the grace of Christ, they say. It's an unwarranted absolutizing of one picture. The metaphor of uh, of us abiding in Christ and remaining and, uh, and knowing his life in us. You know, the Bible says we are the ones who are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We don't hand over that working out of it to the automatic pilot, Jesus. Our comfort is that the grace of God is working in us. And it's working in us to will and to do of God's good pleasure. We work because he's working in us. We fight against sin because he fights against sin. He's assisting us to look to him day by day. He's helping us to put to death the lusts of the mind and the lusts of the flesh. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. And often we say, help me now, Lord. Help me. I'm here, there's not another Christian in this room except me. Be with me, Lord, help me. What does Paul say to Timothy? He says to him, flee 
youthful lusts. And how do you flee? You flee with your legs and with your feet and with flailing arms. You flee from the temptation like Joseph running away from the enticements of Mrs. Potiphar. And God says the best way to overcome temptation is with your feet. Not by the automatic pilot. You don't lie back and get nice and warm and you say, now Jesus, take over. You get out of the place. That's what the Savior tells us. I'm bringing to you again a massive biblical truth that is central to any understanding of being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And it is this. Let me introduce you to a new phrase. The Christian life is a matter of what I call dependent responsibility. Dependent responsibility. Two truths. I am dependent on God for everything. Every virtue I possess, every victory won, every thought of holiness, I'm dependent on God. The fact that I've come here today, the fact that I'm forced to listen, and I am listening to a message about being strong in the grace of of God. I'm, I'm dependent on God for all these things. And I'm responsible before God for for my weaknesses. Dependence and responsibility. So Timothy Be strong. Be responsible. In the grace that is in Jesus Christ, be dependent on him. So whatever you're doing as as a Christian, you're organizing Bible groups. You're teaching in a Sunday school. You're working on a Friday night with the young people. You're going to pray on on a Tuesday. You're going to lead family devotions. You're going to serve other people. You're going to witness to your friends in work. You're going to do good works. Well, you do all those things with all the considerable resources that God gives us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're not on your own. Your education, your mind, your bodily strength, your energy, the influence you have in your community, your devotion. Those are your responsibilities and you do so then in all a sense of your great weakness. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't get through these things without help from you. So, Timothy is commanded to be strong, but God supplies the strength for him to be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. So we say to God, command whatever you will, whatever you want from me in life, you command me to do, just give me what you are asking me to do. That's the Christian life. Timothy, work by grace. Lead by grace. Resist the false teachers by grace. Teach your congregation by grace. Be faithful to the pattern of sound teaching by grace. 
So that was the message of what I've called dependent responsibility that Timothy had heard from Paul. He learned it from the apostle. So there was the apostle and then there was Timothy and then he was to pass it on um, to a third generation of reliable and qualified men. You see that in the second verse there? Paul taught it to Timothy. Timothy passes it on to faithful and dependent men who themselves will be able to teach others also. So you have four generations here in this verse, don't you? You owe your faith to somebody else who spoke to you about the gospel. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was mum and dad. Maybe it was a friend in college who gave you basic Christianity to read. That person was spoken to by somebody else. And that person was spoken to by another person. And then before him, and before him there was a person who taught him and spoke to him. And you go back and back and back to Pentecost. You go back through the centuries to Paul. Because this is the normal way that God has patterned for us to learn about growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. We, we're taught by friends and family and they were taught by other people and back and back in that way. That's what Paul says in the verse that is before us. The third thing I want to say to you this morning is that the consequence of us becoming stronger and teaching these truths to others will be that we will experience hardship. Verse 3, endure hardship with us. All who are in Asia turned away from Paul. It's a great reminder to us to expect occasional disappointments in the Christian church. Too many Christians are stunned as fellow members in their own congregations or their ministers let them down. They act as if it's a cataclysm unheralded, unknown in human experience. It's never happened before. When the Christian church or the Christian minister let people down. And Paul is saying here, Timothy, I've been let down by everybody in Asia Minor. I led most of them to Christ. I started most of their churches. They've all let me down. So it's a word of warning to Timothy. Timothy, be prepared for disappointments. Don't go into the Christian ministry thinking that the church will always come through for you. Paul is speaking about the natural hardships, not only of the Christian life in general, but of the pastorate. And he is saying, Timothy, this is the mindset I want you to develop. I want you to have a new covenant mentality that expects hardship, that is familiar with taking up your cross daily. You're not to be surprised when it comes along. When building up a church is a hard work, don't be discouraged. Certainly don't be surprised, Timothy. Expect it. Because the Christian life is a life of hardship in a groaning world where Satan is active and busy. And Timothy, here's the attitude I want you to have. Be ready to suffer with me.
In other words, enter into my suffering. And it's so important for us. And in the affluent world in which we live, uh, and our expectation of ease and comfort, when hardships come, that we are surprised by them. And we think uh, something's gone wrong. It's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be easy. We're going to grow in grace easy. The church work is supposed to be easy. The Christian life is supposed to be easy. Uh, I'm supposed to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ in an easy way. But hardship, I'm meeting hardship. I don't understand it. Don't be surprised that God's blessing and hardship come together. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Endure, endure, endure hardship as a mark of God's blessing. Remember that the progress in the Christian life is like this. It is from the hard going to the difficult. And it is from the difficult to the impossible. And that is the logic then of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And at every stage, the grace of God is sufficient for us. Be strong in the grace, whatever you are in the Christian life. The fifth thing I want you to say is that patterns for the Christian life are found in the work of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. And you see that in verses 3 to 6. There's the soldier. A soldier doesn't go into battle with his laptop and his Sunday suit and his patent leather shoes. He doesn't think, well, I can let go all that I've been taught and let God watch over me from now on. He'd better not do that. He'd better remember all that he's been taught about the art of warfare. Or he'll be another casualty. Uh, an athlete... He doesn't uh, pull on his, uh, his shorts and his athletic vest for the first time in a year, the morning of the marathon. He trains, he runs. Day after day, he runs. A farmer doesn't say, well, now the sheep and cows can look after themselves for the next month and I'll go to Las Vegas. Being a farmer is a 24-7 vocation. So there are three then vivid pictures, which some of you can relate to, one more easily than another. But in Timothy's day, they knew very well farming and soldiering and the athletics. The athletics. The soldier. The farmer. Picture language. So here is the soldier, and the metaphor is often found in the Bible, isn't it? It's about the war we are called to, and the sort of armor that we ought to put on, and what our sword is. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and so on. And the Christian expects opposition and ridicule, and he takes his share of those things. The uh, soldiers in Paul's day were recruited. Many of them were farmers. And now they have to learn how to fight. And they are paid for the service that they do in the army, but they're thinking all the time of the farm back home. 
You may have seen the film a decade ago called The Gladiator. And in that film, then, there's a scene in which Caesar speaks to Maximus. And he says to Maximus, how long have you been away from your wife and home? And Maximus replies, two years, 246 days, and this morning. His service of Caesar had taken him away from all who were dear to him and the place that was beautiful to him. But he was enduring hardship as a good soldier. And Paul says, you've got to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are the hardships and sacrifices that Christians experience. And you don't get distracted by civilian affairs. You please the one who's called you to be a soldier. There's a war on. I heard that so often when I was a little boy. And so there's certain demands of austerity and self-sacrifice that are essential. There are entanglements that are innocent. There are hobbies that are innocent. But they mustn't be allowed to grow and grow and grow so that they then hide, shadow the loving Savior whom we want to please and serve day by day. Secondly, there's the life of the athlete in verse 5. Athletes in uh, the time of Timothy and Paul were expected to come before the judge before they were allowed to compete in a race and that they had to swear that they had been in training for 10 months before they engaged in this particular race. You can't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. Unless you are serious, unless you say, I'm training, I'm in hard training. Um, No rules, no evergreen wreath. You have to be in earnest about competing and winning It's not just the occasional jogging on a nice sunny morning and the prom is empty and you can go for a run from one side to another. This is the athlete who wants the gold medal. And every sport has its laws. The laws don't uh, destroy the sport. The laws make the sport. And the phrase here, according to the rules, is... uh, Nominos in Greek. It's uh, the adverb from... The law, legally, you must do this. You must be strong then. uh, There's only one God. Um, You don't bow down to an idol like um, the three men refused to bow down in the book of Daniel. You don't lace your speech with uh, blasphemies. You keep a day special when you say, let me gather with the people of God and hear the word of God and worship God. You honor your father and mother and everyone in authority. There's no violence, no sexual sin. You respect other people's property. You don't steal. You don't bear false witness. You don't covet. Athletes have to keep the law. There are checks on them all the time. Are they taking illegal substances? Are they taking drugs? They're checked all the time. You have to compete legally. We have to compete In the Christian race, we have to 
please God in what we do in all things. There was a, a couple in the early church and they sold a piece of land and they gave a very low price for what they got for it. They got much more. They lied to the apostles in the church. They bore false witness. And God's judgment came upon Ananias and Sapphira because of this. They were keeping back some for themselves. And yet they were saying, we're giving everything to God. They were lying. They weren't doing things then that God required of those that were Christian athletes. And thirdly, then, you're strong in the grace of God by thinking of the life of a farmer. Um, The long life, springtime, breaking up the soil, preparing the land, clearing the stones, fertilizing it, planting, keeping the crows away, enduring all the threats of the weather, going to harvest, separating the ears from the stalks, going to market, selling it. Finally, after all that process, then he gets his reward. He can't stop halfway through. He can't uh, go to Wimbledon for two weeks during that time. He has to work. He has to keep his eye on his farm. He has to uh, encourage his wife and his family by his industry and his planning. If he's put his hand to the plough, He can't look back. He has a great incentive that he will be rewarded for the work that he has done. Jesus says, great will be your reward in heaven. So there's a long-term view of the plowing and the sowing until the final autumn harvest then. Uh, An athlete's race lasts 10 seconds and he's a gold medalist. A soldier's skirmish may last half an hour and the enemy are outnumbered and they flee from the scene of battle. Half an hour, ten seconds. But a farmer, a farmer's in for the long haul. A farmer's there. It's his duty. It's his vocation. There are dangers if you're a soldier. There are rules if you're an athlete. There's a long-term commitment if you are a farmer. And so these three illustrations are brought by the Apostle to Timothy to remind him of what being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ is all about. And so I close with these words. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And of course I'm not saying that, but the Apostle Paul is saying that in in verse 7. I'm quoting to you his words. I've told you some important truths and I've ended. And my word is over, but your work now has only begun. That you have to reflect. You have to think. Am Am I striving with all my faculties that God has given me by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's put within me to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Not to be a second-class Christian. Am I like an athlete who keeps the rules and a soldier then who pleases his commanding officer 
am I a farmer in for the long haul? Am I? Lord, make me such a one. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight. And that's another way in which we grow in the grace of Jesus Christ by reflecting and receiving insight from God. Amen. Let us pray. We ask the Lord to teach us about growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, loving God, that we will be strong, each of us, strong families, strong parents, strong children, strong students, strong elderly people, still trusting. Oh, keep us, we pray, Lord, as mature growing Christians at the end of our lives as we sought to be when we first knew thee as our Savior. Bless this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.